There are three themes that run through this course, three themes that will now shape each lesson, each learning outcome, and how we approach each reading. These three themes are a sort of elevator pitch for the course on subversion and subterfuge and sabotage. The first is that subversion focuses on internally weakening a government. We are not fighting directly, but instead causing collapse, a weakening, a stretching thin, or at least distraction. The second is that subversion is executed with indirect and subtle means. This is what the lesson will be about, uh, or what we'll focus on uh, in lesson two. And the third theme, the third part of the elevator pitch, is that subversion often exploits existing narratives and networks, especially exacerbating schisms that already exist. Now, to the lesson in the lesson title of subversion. I want to quote from William Rosenau's paper on subversion that was prepared for the Office of the Secretary of Defense in 2007. And I quote, Subversion has no universally accepted definition. British Security Service defines subversion as a generalized intention to overthrow or undermine parliamentary democracy by political, industrial, or violent means. In the case of the United States, examples include CIA support to the Congress for Cultural Freedom, an organization of some of the world's leading intellectuals and artists that promoted liberal democratic alternatives to Soviet totalitarianism, a secret Marshall Plan for the Mind that distributed millions of copies of Western books in the Soviet Union and throughout the Warsaw Pact countries, and covert assistance to trade unionists, politicians, journalists, military officers. And I go on to quote from Rosenau, for DOD, subversive activities are those actions designed to undermine the military, economic, psychological, or political or morale or moral strength of a regime that do not fall into the categories of treason, sedition, sabotage, or espionage. He goes on to write, concerning a 2001 document, the British Army contributes a useful refinement by identifying subversion as those activities short of the use of force that are intended to erode the strength of the state. Then he goes on to talk about Frank Kitson, the British counterinsurgency practitioner and theorist, who defines subversion as all illegal measures short of the use of armed force taken by one section of the people of a country to overthrow those governing the country at the time or to force them to do things they do not want to do. Now, I wholly reject most of these representations of subversion as being simultaneously too unlimited with regards to viewing any enemy of the state as subversive and also to being too limiting at times, such as only looking to illegal actions. When most of subversion, arguably, throughout most of history, has been legal, even if subtle. For example, institutional sabotage that we'll discuss midway in the course has never been explicitly made illegal by any government in the history of warfare or the history of civilization, which makes it a particularly effective and pernicious method of subversion. 
Subversion instead, according to Angela Quidvilla, and this is a definition I prefer because I find it helpful. You should use whatever definition, of course, you find helpful. Quidvilla goes on to say, and I quote, the act of turning from underneath consists of actions ranging from the spreading of rumors, either true or false, building up or tearing down the influence of key people or factions in the enemy camp, and possibly to sabotage and assassination. So in this definition, he's including, in some cases, violent means. Kovila goes on to say, its distinguishing feature is the sub in subversion. The actions do not appear to be the work of an enemy. Thus, whereas some injuries rally the victim by focusing its anger on the enemy, the defeats inflicted through subversion confuse the victim as to who the enemy is and thus further erode the victim's moral energies. So what does this mean in my own words? Well, it means that there are legal means and illegal means, that there's a focus on networks and key people. It can be violent, it can be nonviolent, and oftentimes it does not appear, or in some cases by definition, as we'll discuss, it does not appear to be work of an enemy. Now, politically, it is used pejoratively against enemies of the state within that state from the perspective of the governing body. Legally, governments often define it differently, so it's going to be important to understand the legal definitions of subversion with our international partners when we're working abroad or working in this country uh, with other governments and militaries. For us, as national security professionals and as strategic analysts, I would argue we should use the definition that is most helpful to us, the definition that allows us to better recognize, analyze, conduct, and more often, at least for us in this course, to collapse subversion. Politically, it can be used to create, maintain, or exaggerate some shadowy internal enemy that has the thinnest of threads of connection to some threatening ideology or foreign or insurgent power. Labor unions the world over, with members formerly in the Communist Party, were targeted during the Cold War, most often paradoxically in the Soviet Union itself. Muslim groups and also mosque communities have been and are still being targeted in many Christian-majority countries. Accused of wanting to subvert and pervert or change local norms and culture in a way that would, at least in the eyes of certain authorities, eventually subvert the entire political, cultural, and legal systems. In other words, NIP, or these powers, are looking to NIP subversion in the bud before the subversion becomes a lasting national or continental or existential subversion success story. Note that I am not stating that the protagonist governments in these cases are wholly wrong or wholly correct. That will be up for us to debate. Now, with this political tricky area, it's important to underline that sometimes these states are thrashing about at subversives, at these states that are thrashing about at subversive strata, uh, shadows end up being right, or sort of right, or sometimes accidentally right. McCarthyism, many historians and American study scholars believe, was a blight on U.S. history. However, in addition to McCarthyism, and perhaps what some people would consider national paranoia, the FBI did, in fact, successfully unveil and target Soviet-backed agents that were planning to illegally subvert the U.S. Constitutional Republic. 
Legally, it can be used to target or arrest people in certain countries that those people that are against the person in power. So it can be a monocracy, for example. So it can be used to target those that are against an existing regime. In much the same way as the word terrorist has been used by many governments around the world for anyone that even has tweeted against that regime. Subversion, like terrorism, is back in vogue to be in line with the, the global, or I should say great power competition, global narrative norms. It is now okay in the reflective minds of certain regimes to target people in the name of countering subversion as it was in the name of countering terrorism two decades ago. What the word means for the study of national security and the definitions that you generate are what's most important for this course. We are not going to look at just the maligned understanding of subversion only. So in the final analysis, for this podcast anyways, and for your debate, definitely for your debate, these are very debatable points that I'm going to bring up now, what does this mean? Subversion can be legal. It can be peaceful. It can lead to peace, and it can bring about social justice and value. It certainly is not always the case. Perhaps it's mostly not the case, but perhaps it can be peaceful. And I'm doing this to try to challenge our intellectual aperture at understanding the subversive power of subversion. And yes, I'm using the word to define itself now. For example, you join a political party or a union and play by the rules. You make real life and genuine trusting and trustful lifelong friendships and slowly influence leadership to focus on what you consider are better or more important issues or to institute sounder policies. It's not that you come in with some ulterior motive and hide and lie, although that certainly does happen too, is that you have a personal vision to improve upon a movement. You go along to get along. Genuinely, you believe in the movement. And when it's appropriate, when you have gained trust, when you have gained responsibilities and authorities, you then provide what you see as personal improvements over time. But subversion, legal which at least today, it is in most countries, arguably, the types of subversion that we'll be discussing a lot in this course, or illegal for good or for sinister motivations has to be ghost-like. Once it's seen and recognized, it is then targeted and undermined. Subversion is often invisible to the untrained eye, hence this course. Now to the readings. The first reading considers Queen Elizabeth and the attempted political and ideological subversion during a time of great power competition between the Vatican and England. But, of course, it's not just the crown and the Vatican. You have what some historians might consider extremist Anglicans, extremist royalists, hidden Catholics, so-called loud Catholics, Calvinists, Lutherans, naturalists, and believers in science and free will. The next reading is on Salahuddin, and the great power competition of that time. But of course, it's not just Salahuddin between him and the Crusaders, which many of us have read about or know about to some degree, but it's the subversion from and against the Fatimids 
which are which were in today what we consider the modern state, more or less the modern state of Egypt. Sunni city states who made either secret or overt deals with European crusader statelets and handfuls of other competing ideologies and sects and politicos. In the cases of Queen Elizabeth and Salahuddin, it was never just one power against another. There were many competing camps of political and ideological subversives. Many shades of extremism materialized into violence in some cases or just left to rhetoric. I'd like to apply these two moments in history, these two moments that could be defined as being dominated by great power competition in their time, to our current approaches and assessments of subversion by China and perhaps countering subversion of the United States in our final reading. Thank you.